Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. Hey, everybody, from KQED Public Radio, it's Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. On today's show, schools and prisons. L.A. Times reporter Mackenzie Mays joins us to talk about how conservative members of school boards in parts of California are challenging state mandates and curriculum on issues like LGBTQ history and sex education, even booting out the state school superintendent from a Southern California school board meeting. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Marie, we're going to start, I think, with the prison part of that. Governor Newsom's plan to transform San Quentin prison into what he likes to call the California model. Uh, It's rehabilitation for prisoners who will eventually be released which is, you know, the vast majority of inmates. They will be paroled at some point. And I took a tour of the prison yesterday to learn more about the governor's plan, which is really inspired by how Norway and other Scandinavian countries manage crime and punishment, less emphasis on punishment, more attention to preparing prisoners for life on the outside. Yeah. And I mean, since he rolled that out, Scott, there's been some criticism about the lack of details in the plan. But at this tour, you were with the warden and Sacramento Mayor Daryl Seinberg, who's actually advising the governor on all of this. What did you hear from them? What did you see? Yeah, well, obviously, the both the warden and uh, Steinberg are embracing this in a big way. And, you know, let's face it, San Quentin has already been doing, they're really an outlier in the correction system. They've been doing a lot of programming there for many, many years. But this is really an expansion of that. And yeah, you're right. There is some criticism on the lack of details. But, you know, Steinberg says really what we're talking about here is uh, pretty basic. A fundamental change in the way that personnel, starting with correctional officers, are trained and how they are recruited and retained. And, you know, that is that is a big issue, Marisa. You know, obviously the uh, the corrections officers uh, don't all think about sitting down and having coffee with prisoners, which is exactly what they're envisioning. Right. You know, they're talking about having more interaction, shaking hands, playing pickleball with uh, mm-hmm. with these with these men, which is kind of what they do in Norway and in some of these Scandinavian countries. I mean, honestly, like you and I have both covered a lot of prisons and criminal justice over the years. We've covered a lot of the reforms that have happened on the outside of prisons, and I actually kind of think. And we'll get into the, you know, money they need to spend on infrastructure and all of that and programs. But to me, the culture change here seems like really the nut of this and probably the most challenging part. I mean, we've seen this on the outside with the way a lot of police departments have really pushed back against reforms that voters have passed and kind of refused to enact them in some ways. Right. In terms of like when we talk about Prop 47 and this feeling of like, oh, well, if you know, it's a misdemeanor. I don't even want to arrest someone. Um, and. 
I've been doing a lot of reporting, you know, Scott, around juvenile justice and the problems that plagued those state facilities. You know, a lot of those officers are now being hired by the the adult system. So do you think that's a good thing? I mean, based on the way they have, you know, been in their jobs, is that are they going to be down with this new approach? I mean, you would think it would actually make sense because our juvenile system has been, at least on paper, more based towards rehabilitation than punishment. But the stories we've been hearing in recent months about the drug use, the drug furnishing by officers, you know, a lot of these problems, I think is it it, it just speaks to the challenges there. Um, And so that's something I'll be watching. But as we noted, there's also been criticisms about sort of the like mechanics of doing this. What have you heard from lawmakers yeah. That kind of. Well, of course, the governor's been pushing this uh, and he's got a pretty tight timeline and he got the legislature to approve three hundred and sixty million dollars. And this is the first phase of what they're going to do. They're going to knock down an old furniture factory that inmates used to work in at San Quentin, and replace it with what they're describing as a campus kind of a situation for more classrooms. The culture change, it, it, it applies not only to the corrections officers, but also to the, the men who are there incarcerated. And I talked to one of those guys, uh, Juan Haynes, who's been been incarcerated for 27 years. He's actually one of the editors for the San Quentin News, which is an award-winning newspaper there. I went into the newsroom, talked with him and some of the other guys. And, you know, here's, you know, I asked him to put on his journalist hat. Uh, you know, what is he skeptical about when he hears this plan? I'm skeptical about the people that are actually going to be pushing the buttons. I'm skeptical about California's overcrowded prisons. And I'm skeptical over um, buy-in from both sides. I've, I've talked to a lot of correctional officers that really love this idea, and then there's some that don't. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, one of the things that Steinberg talked about is that corrections officers, this is a hard job for yeah. corrections officers, you know, and the idea of transforming the job into, I don't want to say social work, but more more human, more humane is something that he thinks that the guards, the the, the peace officers there that will, the corrections officers will embrace because it they'll feel better about what they do. Yeah. I mean, that was an argument Jerry Brown made in changing some of the way that we program in prisons, giving more opportunities for rehabilitation. I mean, but also, interestingly, Juan Haynes mentioned both sides. And I think this is also going to require buy-in from prisoners, folks who, you know, are like it takes all sides. And I think if you don't have that um, and I think that'll require, again, the trust, building that trust with folks. But uh, beyond all this, Scott, I mean, we got to talk about the politics. This is political <laughs> breakdown. Um, you know, the, the governor seems to maybe have his eyes on higher office outside of California, as you may yeah, have heard perhaps. on this show and elsewhere. Yes, sub-zero interest in that, Marisa. Sub-zero Come on. in the White House. Um, but, but, but truthfully, I mean, if this were successful, it would certainly be something you could run on on a national platform. What do you think he's looking at? Like, what are the politics here, both immediate but more long term for the governor? Yeah. Well, he has set this timeline of 20 25 and it was you know we were we were asking Steinberg like okay what does that mean January 2025 <laughs> December right. 2025 you know it was it, it, you know Steinberg knows that this is really squishy he said oh, August 4th you know and yeah. just pulling a number and I said oh is, is the ribbon cutting going to be in Iowa uh you know because clearly this is the kind of big idea that Newsom loves to talk about and run on, I mean, criminal justice and and crime are things that you know Democrats at the moment are a little bit on their 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 back heels on. They're a little bit on the defensive, and I think he sees this as the kind of thing that will appeal to that maybe broad middle of voters who want to see rules, they want to see public safety, and sell this as good for public safety because as these folks get out of prison and go into the community, if they're not prepared to take jobs, what are they going to do? They're going to turn 
to crime again because they won't have many alternatives. Absolutely. And I mean, we like I said, we've done a lot of work to try, you know, to to make that reentry smoother. But I think anything you do on the front end when when folks are behind bars is going to help greatly. Well, and I would say the front end is really high school before, you know, and, and, you know, there there are legislators, of course, like uh, Reggie Jones Sawyer, who wants to take some of these elusive savings from closing prisons and plow it into the front end, the real front end, which is before they get in trouble. But, you know, job programs, uh, violence prevention, that kind of thing. Yeah. And I think we should say, I mean, I do think there's been a lot of concern, both driven by both politics and just like what people are actually experiencing around crime. But if you look at overall crime rates compared to 30 years ago, they are still so low. We've seen the state shutter already a couple prisons, more in the pipeline to shut down. They have ended a lot of contracts with private prison uh, operators. And so I, I think all told, you know, this is part of an a trend we've seen in California. Um, I, you know, I think there's an open question as to whether reimagining a 150-year-old prison is the best way. Should we just be starting from scratch? Well, exactly. And if you look at uh, death row, those there's still 550 or so uh, condemned inmates there. They're gradually moving them out to other maximum security prisons. And, you know, what? If they're not going to just knock that down. I mean, maybe that would be the best thing to do, but they're not. They're going to make some revisions to it. But certainly housing and space in general is an opportunity, but also a huge challenge, uh, not just at San Quentin, but, you know, across the system. Uh, and so there are those who say, well, geez, maybe there's something better to, to use this money in different ways, spread it out across different institutions. You know, just about 5% of all the people who are incarcerated in California are at San Quentin. And I think what we're going to see is sort of the quote unquote cream of the crop come to right. San Quentin, those who really are motivated to change, to learn skills and so on. And those who aren't, are going to go to some of these other prisons that uh, don't have these programs, or at least not in the numbers that they've had them at Quentin for so long. Yeah. All right. Well, we will keep watching that. I know you will, and I will as well. Yeah, absolutely. All right. We're going to take a short break. And when we return, we're going to be joined by LA Times reporter Mackenzie Mays. She's been covering the politics around LGBTQ issues and other cultural issues that are roiling local school districts in California. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randa Dirfetah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer here with Marisa Lagos, and we're going to turn to the fights over curriculum and how to treat students who identify as transgender that have roiled local school districts and captured the attention of state officials like Governor Gavin Newsom and State Superintendent Tony Thurmond. 
Los Angeles Times state government and politics reporter Mackenzie Mays has been covering these dust-ups, and she joins us now from Sacramento. Hey, Mackenzie. Hey, how are you? Doing well. So, you know, we've been hearing about these kinds of issues really for almost years, but it's mostly been in red states like Florida and Texas, you know, limiting what teachers can say, uh, that kind of thing, parental rights fights. It seems like this is relatively new to California. Is that is that your take? I, w- I would say that it feels new in California because it's one of the only pathways to sort of power over policy that Republicans have, right? They can't get policy change um, in either house of the state legislature. As you know, we have a governor who's a Democrat. So um, we had foreseen that, you know, Republicans were trying to stack local school boards. And so depending on what city and what school they represent, that is a way that they can have um, some power over policy. So I think that's why it feels so different in California. Do you feel like any of this came out of the kind of parent anger we saw around COVID closures? Because it seems, and mass mandates and all that, because while this has become more of a right-left issue, I mean, that did galvanize a lot of parents kind of across the political spectrum. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, um, I sort of wrote about this last year where we knew that you know, they they were promising a quote unquote red wave for school boards in California. We didn't see that, mm. you know, but in the communities where it did happen, it's, you know, playing out in the ways that we're seeing now in Temecula and Chino. And that parental rights slogan is something that's not happening in California, but is like a, a right talking point across the nation. And I think it sprung out of out of COVID frustrations and school frustrations. And to what extent do you think this is being driven by religion? You know, conservative churches uh, that have supported harsher policies around things like LGBTQ rights, are they weighing in in this way with school districts as well? Yeah, actually, I you know, I've covered a lot of school board meetings in my, in my day. I've covered them in Fresno and in the South. And even for me, watching the meeting in Temecula was really something, you know, um, I had said there was lots of God and lots of gavel, you know, um, <laughs> There were Bible scriptures quoted there. You know, God came up a lot. Like, it's not really something that anyone's trying to hide now. Um, whether or not they're they're doing that in schools, like, I, I think they understand the rules about church and state and all of that. But this is a board meeting where they can say other things. And I actually um, watched a sermon in a conservative church in Temecula afterward, and they invited um, some of the school board members to you know, the sermon, you know, it is a church and um, only two of the three could come. Otherwise they would violate um, the Brown you know, Act. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's uh, so interesting. So, yeah. Yeah. It's getting, it's getting pretty, um, you know, it, it's just, yeah, that that's safe to say for sure. So let's let's talk about Temecula. You were down there. Um, this is a school board. We should mention that I believe three, the three majority members that are kind of proposing and supporting a lot of these controversial things were, I think, recruited by a local pastor to run. Um, And they started off in the spring by banning critical race theory. Was that did that even get on your radar or was that kind of more of a local conversation? I mean, the CRT thing has been on my radar for a while and and it gets really confusing because often what um, some uh, opponents say is CRT isn't even actually that. Right. So it, it gets really tricky about what sort of history lessons they want to teach and what they don't, but it's, it's pretty on brand. Um, we see, you know, it, it didn't take long for us to go from textbooks to in another city, it was about transgender 
um, youth rights and CRT sort of falls right in there with those topics. Hmm. Another big skirmish down in Temecula, of course, was over gay rights hero Harvey Milk uh, in school lessons and Governor Newsom's reaction to that. The school district was calling Milk a pedophile, which is ridiculous. Uh, and the governor reacted strongly, said he's going to send textbooks down there. Talk about how that played out, how the governor responded and where things are now. Yeah, I think, you know, it's pretty rare in California for a governor to insert himself, I guess, in a local school board um, issue. We if you talk to school board officials across the state and teachers, all you hear about is local control because California is so big. So California sets the laws and the standards and everybody's pretty upfront about how hard it is to actually regulate and enforce those. So to see a governor say, you can't do this. And if you do this, I'm going to make sure that I find you. Um, was really interesting. And he had a lot of supporters saying, yes, like you need to step in because they're not doing the right thing. But he also had a lot of critics saying, we don't know if you're doing this because it's sound policy um, or if it's better for your political profile, because, you know, that's the side you want to be on in in the culture wars if you're Newsome, right? Um, And so I think, you know, we're all waiting to see how it will play out. There's a lot of questions about like, okay, what happens when this happens again? You know, will we see that same sort of um, attention that some people thought was outsized in that situation? What I mean, we're reading about this from here. We talked about this last week on the show, but we should explain to folks that essentially the school board tried to reject a state approved curriculum that included some supplemental materials mentioning Harvey Milk. Um, They've sort of since backed off. Uh, What is your sense, though? Like, is this is this splitting the community down there? That is a relatively purple district, I believe. Um, Or is it are, are people there supportive of it? Well, I mean, we know there were enough people there to vote the board members in that supported, and that's a majority of the board. So we know that. But I also talked to parents, you know, this this meeting went on for like nine hours and went past midnight and there were parents who opposed it, too, and teachers, too. And some of the folks that oppose the conservative majority and support the Harvey Milk text say that a lot of the drama that they're seeing at school board meetings is like outside agitators, they call them. They're like they're not parents. They're not even voters. They're just sort of glomming on to this big sort of conservative um, issue without really having um, a stake in the school board, which is really interesting. Um, And all sorts of things that have like little to do with um, schools kept coming up at the school board meeting. I thought it was really interesting. Like there's like um, sex trafficking would come up a few times in that movie. That's a big um, like right wing talking point right now, you know, the, just certain things that usually, you know, um, the uh, one the, of the parents. The, there's a media bubble that a lot of people live in that, that not everybody understands what they're talking <laughs> about when it comes Which to Which silo like are you in? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, one of the one of the parents who is actually hoping to work on a recall effort to recall the majority conservative majority on the board said that their slogan is make school board make school board meetings boring again because <laughs> they used to be really boring about budgets and stuff and now they've become something else. Yeah. Well, you know, of course, Governor Newsom, before all this happened, has been very critical of states like Florida and especially Governor Ron DeSantis with the, you know, don't say gay bill and some of the other things he's doing down there around transgender rights. And, you know, now we're hearing from Temecula and Chino that, hey, this is, you know, the governor interfering with local control. So how is what Newsom is doing different from what DeSantis is doing and got criticized for by Newsom? 
Yeah, I actually, I talked to an attorney who compared the two, and I'm sure Newsom does not like ever being compared to DeSantis. As we know, they're sort of like arch nemeses and just constant rivals. Um, but to Newsom's point, he would say, you know, the school board's breaking the law. We have laws that say you must teach LGBT history. We have laws about comprehensive sex ed, laws about ethnic studies. I mean, California has all of the laws already when it comes to textbooks. And so he could say, you know, this isn't the same because what DeSantis is doing is sort of the opposite. Uh, um, and some would argue is illegal over that way, too, because, you know, depending on what you're allowing um, a teacher to teach or a school board official to push. So um, and I talked to his office and they said, you know, just because we believe in local control and deferring to communities about what's best for them doesn't mean you can break the law. You know, those are two different things is what they say. Do you think, though, that like there are potential pitfalls for Democrats for pushing back? Because like we're talking about local control. I mean, that is something that has been championed to some extent by both kind of wings of, of the political system here in California as being important, right, that you want people to have that buy in. Like, so do you feel like there's either political or practical kind of pitfalls when the state tries to come in and push these things? I think the potential pitfall, and it's something that's come up um, in conversations a lot, is what happens when the shoe is on the other foot, so to speak. So, like, there are liberal school boards who have said, we don't want to teach these texts. And it it may be because they use a racial slur or, or something like that, but the texts are like, you know, otherwise literary, like, you know, all of us read them. And so I guess the pitfall could be, um, you know, will you be treating a district with different political views the same way? Hmm. Um, I mean, I don't know if that would be violating, you know, they could pick a different book and still stay in the standards. They just might not want one book. Um, and that's ultimately actually what Temecula ended up doing. You know, they are following the law now. Yeah. They just didn't choose the Harvey Milk book after all. Well, another issue in the culture war is bubbled up in Chino Valley School Board. That's another uh, school district in the Inland Empire, this one in San Bernardino County. Uh, and the issue is not books, but transgender kids. Um, tell us about that, how it played out and, you know, why Tony Thurman, the school superintendent, you know, decided to go down there and address them. He won't talk to any For a of minute us. or two. <laughs> <laughs> so they, um, yeah, when you see something like that happen only a couple days after something like this happened, you do start to think, wait a second, is there a pattern happening? But there, the school board um, voted for like what they call a parental notification system. So if a kid is transgender or identifies in a way that they say is not on their birth certificate as far as their pronouns. If they want to use a bathroom that's different from what they used to be using, they're going to notify their parents. Um, and so the conservative majority on that school board and the parents that support it say parents should know everything about their kids. That's their right. And then gay rights advocates say this is really dangerous because the very kids that may not tell their parents might not feel safe and not be in homes where they feel safe to do that. And so you're taking away from them this like sort of safe haven that they think a school should be by um, what they say would be outing them against their will. Um, and so another potential pitfall is like everybody's like, where's Gavin on this? Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of hard for the governor to choose to be involved in one and not in this one. Um, and we do know that that state lawmakers have already said, hey, we're going to we're going to work on something, write up a bill to, to make sure that this doesn't happen, because right now that that policy is approved and it's you know, that's in play. 
there. Before we talk, I do want to talk about Tony Thurman, but you mentioned Newsom, and I do think that, I mean, this feels like a stickier issue for him. I think it was very easy for him to come out swinging when Harvey Milk was accused of being a pedophile, but parental notification is not quite as clean of a line for, for liberals, I would imagine. Yeah. I I mean, it's all about the language too. parental notification, parental rights. You know, that's sort of a catch all term that's really hard for anybody to disagree with. It's more um, one of those things that you need to drill down and understand what somebody means when they say that, because it's such an umbrella term. It's like who would be anti parent, you know, but um, you have to sort of get to what really um, what they mean behind that, I guess. Yeah. Well, we have seen the legislature obviously getting activated on this. And, um, you know, the school board association actually seemed to take Temecula's side on that school book issue. Um, we've got uh, others, you know, warning about state overreach. Corey Jackson, uh, a freshman legislator from down that way, has got a bill coming up around all this. Like, where do you, how do you see this shaking out in the legislature? And do we see those same fault lines that Marisa and you just talked about regarding, like, books versus parental notification? No, I mean, everyone I've talked to about the textbook law, at least, is like that that bill is good as gold. Like, so that bill before was a flop. I had talked to Jackson about it. It didn't have support from important people like CTA or CSBA because it was became a local control issue. But the governor sort of swooped in and has made it um, his bill in a way and immediately had tacked on support from leadership in the legislature. So everyone's like, yeah, that's going to happen. Um, there's not really going to be, uh, I don't think there's going to be a big divide there. And as you know, we have, you know, super majorities of, of Democrats in the legislature. Um, uh, we'll have to wait to see what the other issue, what the other bill looks like. And if they'll, you know, stand up against some, I guess, tougher criticism than this textbook bill. Yeah. I know we just have you for a few more minutes, Mackenzie. I, I do want to ask, uh, the state superintendent, Tony, Tony Thurman, kind of got shouted down out of that Chino Valley school board meeting. Um, he says he was kicked out. It looked like he was kind of asked to leave maybe after his public comment. I, but I made a joke about Thurman. I mean, he has not been super accessible, I think, to the press or the public in a lot of ways. Um, do you think he's trying to kind of burnish his his credentials politically with all of this and and what role does he actually have as superintendent i mean people in sacramento definitely viewed it that way he's running for governor and he well he had just announced that he you know is considering a run for governor and that he had opened a committee so to see him um you know stand up and talk in like public you know, he signed up as just like sort of like a, a a layman, like a normal member of the public. It's really kind of wild to see the state superintendent of all the schools in California just sort of show up there instead of like have, you know, it, it kind of tells me that they weren't working together or something on that issue. Um, he was quick to tweet about it afterward and um, is angry with that district. And he did say he was ejected. And I, I watched the tape and I saw that police were talking to him at the podium afterward. Yeah. Um, but I also just saw just a few minutes ago that the school district put out a statement saying that they that he wasn't ejected. And now they're angry with him for saying that he was. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we wish he'd kept talking. <laughs> yeah, it, it's hard to 
it's hard not to see, you know, it through a political lens, I guess. Yeah, of course. And of course, all this, you know, if you look at the broader politics, it's playing out at a time uh, that the legislature is trying to repeal uh, the Prop 8, which passed uh, in 2008, banning same-sex marriage. Of course, that's already been resolved through the courts, so it's kind of symbolic. Um, but, you know, we also have, uh, you know, talk about repealing the travel ban to states who have anti-LGBTQ politics and laws. So what do you make of the fact that all this is coming up right now? I mean, is this just part of, is this in some way tied to 2024, do you think? I think that it's that local piece again. I think because, I mean, California has the strongest LGBT rights um, and and protections, like you just mentioned, um, as a state, right? But I think to see this, it's because it's kind of the only way we can see them wedge through. Like maybe you might see this on a city council in a certain city or a board of soups or something, but usually, you know, this is kind of as hyper-local as it gets. And I, so I think that's where we're That's sort of the only way it pokes through in California. Yeah. All right. Final question before we let you go. I I mean, the president has even been talking about this. We've seen him kind of linking the abortion SCOTUS decision and MAGA extremists to book bans. I know there's a civil rights investigation by the Department of Education into whether Texas school districts uh, sweeping removal of LGBT themed books constitutes discrimination. We always talk about California leading the nation. Are we are we going to be leaders here, Mackenzie? Like, what what do we what do we expect in the coming months and in the next year on all this? On the textbook situation, I mean, we we sort of already are in a lot of ways. I think that's part of the criticism too. Is we already have the most stringent education standards for schools as far as diversity and inclusion goes. Um, so I guess you know the governor has to follow through on this law, obviously. And it'll probably be the strictest sort of form of regulation we've seen. And, and again, it will put California as sort of the antithesis of these red states, which is something we see Newsom do a lot. So for he every move, yeah. Right, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So and of course, all so, this is yeah. happening in, during summer break, right? Yeah, right? So the kids aren't even in school and they're all <laughs> arguing about the kids. All right. Mackenzie Mays from The Los Angeles Times. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. That's it for this edition of Political Breakdown. It's a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineer today is Catherine Monahan. Our producer is Guy Marzarati. For more politics coverage, you can subscribe to our newsletter. It's at kqed.org slash newsletters. Look for Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos. I'm Scott Schaefer. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time, everybody. love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area, its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures, then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading!
Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.